Hello, this is Des, and you are listening to The Wellness Project, powered by Spotlight Coalition, and this is episode number 85. On today's episode, I am speaking with Suze Carpenter. I do want to give a bit of a trigger warning here because Suze gets open and honest about her struggles living with an eating disorder, bulimia. If you struggle with an eating disorder or disordered eating, this episode may be a bit triggering for you, but I will say I think this is a very important episode. I think that we don't speak nearly enough about eating disorders and disordered eating, so I'm really looking forward to speaking with Suze. When I worked at the mental health clinic, I did have quite a few clients with eating disorders, but that is something that I am not specialized in and I think it's very important for a therapist to be specialized for somebody to get treatment from somebody that is specialized in this topic in this field so I would always refer out to an eating disorder clinic or a therapist who specialized in eating disorders so in all honesty I don't know that much about eating disorders so I'm really looking forward to speaking with Suze to learn more I think that disordered eating is so common in our society we are just so bombarded with diet culture and every commercial every ad is about food and as Suze mentions we just have huge huge portions and I don't know the statistic but it's something like two-thirds of the U.S. or something are overweight I don't know but we really struggle with disordered eating as well as eating disorders. So I think that this is very important to talk about, very important to learn about. And as from a mental health standpoint as well, what we eat does affect our mood. It does affect our mental health. So paying attention and being mindful of what we eat is so, so important. In the past few months, just from being influenced from the people that I interview for this podcast, I have been practicing mindful eating because I have a bit of a sweet tooth. I love junk food. I love cake. I love cookies and candy and all that. So I've really been trying to pay attention to my body when I'm full, when I'm hungry, what I'm craving, and diving deeper into that. So that is something I've really been practicing because I could easily just sit in front of a bowl of chips and just eat the entire bowl. So I've really been practicing being mindful and obviously still having treats, of course, but being mindful of that and not kind of, you know, gorging on those kind of things and just paying attention to my eating, not watching Netflix and just stuffing my face, but really paying attention, which I think is really important. So again, I'm really looking forward to hearing from Suze and hearing her story. Everyone, I am here with Suze Carpenter. Suze, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to talk with you today. So I just want to start out. Can you tell us who you are? And I know you've had a lot of struggles with your weight growing up. Can you get into that a little bit and explain how you got to where you are today? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I am a wife and a mother of four. I'm 49 and I live just north of Atlanta, Georgia. And since I was a young teenager, I had a really big secret that I honestly planned to just take to the grave with me because there was so much shame and embarrassment around it that I thought if I let the secret out, I'm going to be so unlovable and so unlikable that I'm going to lose these precious relationships in my life. And I even felt like 
I would be called a liar. And so I spent the better part of my life trying to hide the fact that I had an eating disorder and all the while sort of being obsessive about one part, how to hide it, because honestly, I didn't want to get healthy and gain weight because I didn't understand. And then the other part, because I wasn't actually thin, I was 80 pounds heavier than I was right now. I was a bulimic. And so from my early memories, I am six, two, I should add that in. I was always trying to fit in or be smaller so that I could be in my mind accepted a little bit more. So it became this way of life for me where I could never purge. And by the way, I'm going to tell my story in hopes that somebody is able to get healing and get relief like I found by telling the dark side, but I don't want them to be triggering and I don't want it to be giving somebody ideas of what they should do because it's ultimately a path to misery. So I could never throw up even though I tried, but I did obsessively abuse laxatives and exercise. And I can go deeper into the exercise and what that kind of cost me when my children were little. Basically, I was on this path and I couldn't find my way out. And remember, I would not even ask for help because I was so ashamed. So anything that I could find that might have confirmed or helped me navigate to a healthier side on my own, I couldn't find is really what I should say. So anyway, this one day somebody says to me, so you say you would die for your kids, but would you change for them? And that pierced me. It ruined me in a way that I lost sleep and it gave me just enough brave to reach out for help so that potentially my girls wouldn't grow up with the same fears around food and the same body image problems that I had. I had this mean girl that just beat me up every day when I'd look in the mirror. It was only in not wanting them to go through what I was going through that I reached out for help. So then what's so curious about it is that gave me enough brave to admit what I was struggling with. And what I found on the other side was so much grace and love and acceptance and encouragement. But I also found some fundamentals and some truths about nutrition and exercise that in one part, in learning the logic about the truth about how to fuel my body, that unlocked one cage that I suffered in, but it also opened up the opportunity for me to emotionally heal and see how I was abusing food. A lot like people might abuse drugs or shopping to numb out and numb the pain. And it allowed me to get to this place where I am now, where I feel tremendous food peace and um, gratitude, I guess in part for what I went through, because now I live just so much more of a happy, peaceful life. It's wonderful. And that's why I've done this is to actually share how good it is having gone through the dark days and having gotten the help to be in a place where I am now. And that's where I desire to help other women as well. Oh, great. Suze, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's really great that you're doing these kind of interviews and having these conversations because so many people struggle with eating disorders. And like you said, a lot of people feel shame about it. They feel embarrassed. They want to hide it. They don't want to seek out help. So I think it's so important for you to share your story. So thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure, really. Oh, great. Can we go back a little bit? I just want to you to explain for my audience a little bit. What exactly is bulimia? 
So bulimia is an eating disorder, and it is a type of disorder where you will do a combination of restriction in a way of trying to limit the intake of fuel or calories into the body to, to lower your body fat. And then what happens is you're not able to maintain that restriction. So then there becomes a binging and that's where you overeat to fill. Oftentimes it comes on a trigger. Like um, somebody might say something that hurt your feelings or a stressful situation. And so it's as though you fill with food to numb the pain in part to punish. And then after that binge becomes this obsession with you have to get it out. You just did something bad, something naughty, something wrong. You have to rectify it. And it's an obsession. So then in my case, since I couldn't throw up, I would use laxatives to eliminate it, but then I would punish myself with exercise. And that's, that's, the purging part. And that's just one form of an eating disorder. And that's what I had. Okay. And what are your earliest memories of struggling with bulimia? It's curious because I remember, I remember this time when I was on the school bus and it was in the spring or summer, because I remember I had shorts on and I was sitting in the middle of the bus, which meant the cool kids sat in the back of the bus. And I remember vividly this boy going past me. So my guess is this is to the best that I can remember in early junior high, he went past me and he made a comment about my thighs. I was bullied by the neighborhood boys. Like they would chase me down the road or chase me down the hill it all came back to looks like I didn't understand what was happening, but I had the sense that if I was smaller, if I was prettier, I would be left alone. Like they wouldn't make the mean comments and they wouldn't chase me and scare me. So I remember vividly trying to go days without eating when I was little to be smaller, to get rid of my little pudgy tummy, because it's really confusing. Even now eating disorders are rampant when you're transitioning from elementary school, like kind of like that little baby fat before you begin to stretch out. It's when you begin to fill out as a female, that is really confusing body image time. And when you have other people commenting on your body, it's even more confusing. So I tried to control the changes to make them better in my eyes by restricting food, but it didn't last. And so I would then go binge. And I, I got the sense of that's not right. That's not working toward my ultimate goal of being invisible or smaller. So then I began to exercise as a way of balancing out the food part. I'm so sorry that you experienced all that bullying. Was anybody aware of the bullying you were experiencing or was your family aware that you were starting to restrict your, your food intake? There was absolutely no awareness on the food. I absolutely know that because I was really good at hiding that. And I can explain that in a minute, but my parents did know about the bullies. And so they, they would even, cause it was so bad. They would even call the boys' parents, you know, and intervene, which that's not my parents' way of solving problems. And so the boys eventually simmered down, but I didn't get the healing that I needed from being afraid when they would bully me. I, to my best knowledge, there was nothing sexual ever that it's like, I've 
I've talked with my therapist. I'm like, I don't think there's anything there. I think it would come up by now if there was anything. So she even agrees that I'm not triggered that way. We think that it was a fear of them coming after me, like a scared for my life kind of a thing, whether that was true or not. And because at that young age, I didn't get that piece figured out. It perpetuated the eating disorder need for control. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing that. Can you talk a little bit about how you hid your food intake, how you hid this from your family? Yeah, this is a great question. And I hope if moms are listening to this or dads, this is the part you you tune into if your spidey senses start to think maybe your kids are going down this path because I would as a junior high schooler and a high schooler, getting my own breakfast and my own lunch was easy. You know, my parents weren't there to see and eating only an apple at the lunchroom table was easy. If you could say things like I have to go talk with this teacher or do this homework. So I could get away with pretty much skipping a breakfast and not having hardly anything at lunch. I remember I would be a volleyball practice and I was so low energy, but I didn't understand that it was really related to the food. I just thought I was tired. So then when I would get home, it was awfully easy to say to my mom and dad, as I would eat dinner and maybe only eat some, I could blame it on the fact that I was nauseous because coach ran us so hard, which that's actually a true physiological symptom when <laughs> your coach runs you through wind sprints. So my parents would think I've been eating all day long. I ate a modest dinner and I was done for the day. But then we would go out to eat and maybe we'd be around my favorite food and I would let the beginning of a binge happen, you know, like sitting at um, a Mexican restaurant and eating a whole lot of tortilla chips with them and then getting home at night and they'd go to bed and finishing off ice cream cartons and little Debbie oatmeal cakes. But then it was the next couple days that the restriction and the heavy exercise would happen again to counterbalance it. So they never really saw it. They saw a daughter who ate and ate sometimes a bunch and sometimes not so much. And it was nothing that was noticeable. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And can you speak to a little more about that with, as you're getting older and you're getting into romantic relationships, you know, you're, you have a partner, if you were married, if bulimia affected those relationships or if your partners were aware. Okay. So that's a great question. I met my husband when I was 17 at Michigan state. We're still married 26 years later. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So I've been with him forever. I will say this curiously enough for those Oftentimes you can't tell somebody is bulimic because oftentimes they're not at their ideal body weight. When I met my husband, I was probably even 30 pounds heavier than I am now. It was very easy to hide. It just, he never even saw it. A big part of having an eating disorder is the emotional piece and the havoc that the eating disorder voice has over your thoughts. It was just one of those that while we were dating, we didn't spend enough time together that he could get a sense of that. And then by the time we got married, I mean, when we were married, I was probably 80 pounds heavier by that time than I am right now. So the binge restrict cycle doesn't actually work, (laughs) even though you are convinced that it does. So when we were married, then we start having children. And curiously enough, I didn't 
recognize that we had infertility issues because by this time I was so lean, even the physicians didn't associate low body weight with um, infertility. But when we were having children, for me to not eat, to maintain a lower body weight, he was away at work, you know, and we'd come home and he'd be home late for dinner. And so he wasn't really just like my parents wasn't seeing a lot of what I was eating. And when we would go out for smoking hot date nights, that would be a binge night. Curiously enough, I had in 2009, an emergency bowel surgery that I had to have reconstruction done. That was probably the first time Dave ever heard about even a whisper of an eating disorder, because I had to admit to my surgeon that I had abused laxatives and that I was concerned that that was the problem. He assured me that it wasn't, but in having that bowel surgery, my GI said, you know, it'd be a good idea if you exercise every day, just because it causes peristalsis and it makes your GI tract work a little more efficiently. And he basically gave an addict a script for over-exercising. And I used that like it was my badge of honor. Like the doctor said, I've got to go out and exercise. And nobody balked at that. So it was very easy to hide. Oh, okay. Okay. And how often were you exercising? Well, I for sure was running at least seven miles a day. I would oftentimes also take an exercise class. So I, I would say probably around two hours a day was my for sure. There were so many years, like we would go on family vacation and Dave and, you know, we have four kids. So I have right now a 22 year old, a 20 year old, and I have twins that are 15. So there was a season where we just had the two big kids and they were babies, but we would take them to Disney world. And I would get up at four 30 in the morning to go exercise so that I could be up and have exercised before the kids woke up. And before we needed to go into the park to walk around all day. I was so disordered in where the best allocation of time was. I was more obsessed with getting home for the kids to take a nap when we were on vacations so that I could do exercise while they were napping than enjoying my time with the family because I just was so consumed. Right. Yeah. That sounds very consuming. Were you aware at any points that you did have an eating disorder? At what point did you realize that this was an issue? Isn't that something I bet I didn't really realize it was an issue until I was asked that question about my daughter. So all of a sudden the thought of them doing the things I was doing seemed ludicrous until then it had just been my way of life. And I didn't, I actually didn't think about it that much. It was like a form of preservation. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So what was your next step once you had that realization? It was a lot of thought and fear, you know, like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can even say this out loud to anybody. It was in contacting a counselor and just saying, I I think I need to come in and talk. And finally, I remember the first time I told my counselor, that was the first person I told, I felt this tremendous heat around my neck. I was sweating and I thought that my bones were going to fall out of my body. My, My logical brain knew they weren't, but like there was just this emotional part, like giving up the secret was so scary. I had, I had written a story about what she would say and do, and it was exactly the opposite of what I had expected. And so in working with her, that's when she helped me to practice what to say to my husband 
to tell him. And again, when I told him, I was equally terrified, if not more so, but I already had one good experience. And when I told him, he was so sorry that he never saw it. He was so sad that I was so trapped. He, he was in a way embarrassed. He didn't protect his princess, even though that wasn't his job. He was just so sad that I had suffered that many years and he wished it hadn't been that way for me because that wasn't the part of me that he loved. <laughs> he didn't care. He loved what was inside me, not the way my skin suit looked. So the next steps were really the getting the psychology part, the psychiatry to start to navigate the thoughts and then getting the um, nutritional education so that I could learn the truth about food and not fear it. Thank you so much for sharing your story. So I do want to get into a little bit about what you're talking about now, the nutrition. And you say that women are so misinformed when it comes to weight and nutrition. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, sure. Okay. So now take the severity of my story and like, let's just put that on a shelf because that's what led to the education that I got that allows me to help other women now. So what I saw with the food was my thought was like, man, if we would have been taught this in high school, there would be a lot less disordered eating. There are a lot of girls. It's very common to try eating disorders, to try restricting, to try to lose weight. And that's again, my fear of a young person listening to this right now, that they might get ideas from me. And I I definitely want to say it's a pathway to misery, but my thought was, you know, if we could have taught just like our teacher taught us numbers first in school. And then therefore we understood money. For instance, we understand that it takes a hundred pennies to make a dollar. Likewise, we can, if we have a budget of a hundred dollars, we can decide if an $80 sweater is worth it or not based off our budget and our goals. It becomes very black and white. Food actually works out a lot like that. It's a lot like money. So if I can slow somebody down and give them the education part about the truth about food, then they begin to look at it as a system of, is it worth it to me or is it not? Wherein they gain control over whether they're losing weight, maintaining weight or gaining weight based off of their personal goals. And it's just this subject that is very elusive, that was never really taught other than the pyramid, the food pyramid. So when I can teach somebody the truth about food, they realize, okay, I don't have to cut out any food group. I can dine out. I can travel. I can create a lifestyle where I don't feel food fear. I don't feel like foods in control around me. And that is a wonderful place for women to get to because so many women ride in fear and shame and discouragement over their weight because they feel out of control around food and they feel overwhelmed by even beginning to learn what it takes to gain the knowledge because the interweb is so big. So I have this superpower. I used to teach first grade. So when I understand science, I can explain it in a way that a first grader gets it. So when I got the knowledge from my dietitian and my nutritional education about food, I was like, hold on a minute. This is the stuff people need to know. So I was able to carve out the big fancy words that are unnecessary and then break it down into a way that people can understand. It was basically out of, out of me going, holy cow, 
this is the part we need to know. That's when I started to go down all my nutrition training so that I could officially serve people in an ethical way. Great. That is so important. Like you said, there's so much misinformation out there that when you look something up, you'll find five different articles that all say different things and different recommendations for people. So that's so important. I think a lot of people, especially women get very overwhelmed when they're looking up this information and can't find answers. And that kind of leads people to giving up. I feel it's, it's just very overwhelming. Like you said. Yes. Yes. And I get, I mean, honestly, I get women on the phone and they're saying things like, I don't want my husband to look at me or my boyfriend. I I don't want anybody to touch me. I don't want, oh, I don't want to stand in pictures. I have women that say things like, I have so many pictures, so many years of my kids and my husband. And I'm in none of these pictures because I, I just don't like my body and I'm not even enjoying my life because I'm just trying so hard to get my body to a place that I like but I'm never getting there and I'm in constant misery. And it's so sad because there are so many women with that same story. Oh yes. And I even have that same experience too. I have so many friends that, you know, I'll post pictures and they'll message me. Can you delete that? I look horrible in that picture, you know, things like that. So I completely understand it's, it's very, very common. So what do you think is the difference between physical and emotional hunger? And why do you think it's so common for people to overeat? Okay. I love this subject because really for nutrition, it's three parts. There's nutrition, there's environment, which is seafood, eat food, and then there's emotions. So with the human body, we have learned from a very young age to comfort, soothe, or alter our emotional state by using food. We're food abusers. Food's everywhere portion distortion. I mean, it's just like, it's the easiest thing to go to, to change our emotional temperature. So picture the spine is like a zipper and food is like the little pull on a zipper and picture that zipper right in the middle of your spine. And that's where you're like shallow breathing, busy stress part of the day. Like I've got a lot of things to do and you're in that like fight or flight and adrenaline is coursing through the body. And let's say just over the course of a day, any number of things can happen. Um, You might've gotten bad news. You might've found out that you have to get a report done sooner than later. The kids might've been messing with you. You got a bad grade on a test. You have a sick pet, like any number of things. And so suddenly you're in this fight or flight place. You need to either make yourself feel happier, which would be like, you want to put the zipper up higher to closer to your head or you want to go kind of dorsal and numb out and just not even feel, in which case you want to pull the zipper down closer to your tailbone. Well, the way we move that zipper for a lot of us is with food. It will take us up higher or it can help us to numb out. Either way, food becomes this way that we've learned without even thinking about it to change how our feelings are feeling because our feelings feel so real. And so many of us have never learned how to actually feel our feelings and what to do with them. We've just learned to change the feelings with food. So it's so important to first understand the truth about nutrition and feel like you have a plan, but because we're not robots, you can't just instinctively follow the plan forever. That's why two thirds of America is overweight. So what we have to do is one begin the plan and then know that emotions always override logic. So then we have to begin this emotional state of learning about why am I turning to food during certain emotions? 
And then realizing maybe that's not the best comfort mechanism to use because it's destructive to overall mental health. And that right there takes time and effort, but it's very important. Oh yeah. Thank you for explaining in that way. That makes it very, very clear. I like the way you explained that a lot. It makes it make a lot of sense. Do you have any Mm -hmm. insight into why it's so common for us to turn to food for comfort? Oh, sure. Okay. So first off, like when we're babies, when we feel, when we're crying, so many of us were given a bottle or a breast or cookies or Cheerios to change the tears or distract. And it was used as a comfort mechanism. Okay. Secondly, we are wired to want to feel happy. Like that's our fundamental purpose as a human being is to feel happy. We will do anything to not feel pain. So there are so many things that we could do to feel happy and get an endorphin rush exercise. This is the naughty list. You could steal, do drugs. You can be gambling, driving too fast. There's so many things that we could do to get a rush, to get a high, but a lot of them are frowned upon. Um, in society. So if you were to say, be at the office and you needed to numb out, doing a line of cocaine or doing drugs could get you fired and is incredibly frowned upon. But if you were to sit with a box of donuts and eat them, the boss might walk by and raise an eyebrow, but you're certainly not going to get fired from it. Um, So the consequences in society are so low and you have this sense of, well, I'm only hurting myself. And it's very, very accepted. So it's no surprise that people turn to food. That is a really great explanation. That makes so much sense. So (laughs) as for eating disorders, do you have any insight into why they're not really spoken about as much as they are? And and when we hear about eating disorders, we often hear about anorexia, not really as much bulimia. Do you have any insight into why that is? Well, I just think that the eating disorder conversation is just now starting to gain a little bit of social acceptance. Mental health is being talked about as being recognized as more important in terms of overall physical health. So there is just like this level of new society acceptance in realizing that social media in society norms really do praise the paper thin male or female. Like it's seen as a status that being unreasonable and ridiculous is finally being challenged where people are accepting that you have an eating disorder and that there's society pressures that might be leading to that. And there's just more science now coming out, more people talking about their eating disorders that out of that conversation, there's a new awareness of how medically severe they are and how incredibly damaging they are. Like for instance, if a girl is to get, like I did, bulimia or develop anorexia, it's a disease. It's not a vanity. It's a personality type that catches, that has the disease. It is genetically passed down. I think the fact that now we have a social platform that people can speak to anorexics or bulimics are um, compromising their health tremendously. They're stunting their periods. They're stunting their bone growth. They're stunting their cardiovascular health. Being able to talk about it more is allowing people to seek 
more treatment. Anorexia is the one that you can see the easiest because all of a sudden somebody's physique goes so small. Bulimia is more difficult to see because it involves different behaviors. Same with ARFID, which is um, not liking certain types of food textures or only eating certain foods. It's just, I think in one way, social media is so harmful, but in another way, it's creating this new conversation to lower some of the stigmas about it so that more people are able to get help. I have a girlfriend who had a daughter who was beginning to restrict food and begin the anorexic path. But because I had already educated the girlfriend on what a treatment would look like for that, the girlfriend told the daughter and the daughter was able to reverse the behavior where that wasn't something that was common even 10 years ago. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So can you give any tips or advice for those that are, are either struggling with an eating disorder or who have a loved one that's struggling with an eating disorder? Okay. So those are two different animals. So the loved one, they need to maybe go to NEDA and EDA, the National Eating Disorder Association, go to their website and just start looking at some of the symptoms and some of the clues to look for if your loved one may be in there. And if what I'm saying has been like kind of triggering and making your heart go a little bit fast, that tells me probably your spidey senses are saying you should look into this and that'd be a good idea because then from there, maybe going in and speaking with a physician and having your loved one looked at to see what their cardiovascular system is like or get an EKG, eating disorder clinics will take very good care of you. And then you'll know a level of treatment that you would need and earlier intervention is better. So not waiting on this is a very good idea. Your loved one does not want to gain weight and does not want to restore their weight. That is their biggest fear until they gain body positivity and get some help. So no, you are going to be met with wild pushback, but that's okay because they do need and deserve the help. They don't want to stay where they're so miserable. They're locked in a cage. For the person who is listening to me, not liking what I'm saying, I wish I could have a conversation with you because I know how cold you feel and how scared you are and how anxious you feel and your skin is tingly and your back hurts and your hair falls out and you're trying to hide and you're miserable. And that's the goal of your eating disorder. It wants you in the grave. Oh my God, it's just a terrorist. It's never going to be good enough. Never. The way to get out is to get help and to be brave for 20 seconds and even just start with a therapist that specializes in this and just talk to them. You're miserable and your eating disorder is telling you eventually you'll be happy. Eventually you'll get there, but it's a terrorist and it's, that's not the path. It, the path is to go the other way. And I'm here to tell you the other way is bright and warm and loving and relaxing and peaceful. And it's all the things that you're seeking. So taking a step, even though I know you don't want to restore weight, you feel like that's that's your identity right now. And I know that, but it, it ultimately has you miserable. And so it's worth making a change, especially since you're still here listening to these words in this podcast this far in. Okay. Suze, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for all of this information. It's such an important topic to talk about. And I'm glad that you were a part of bringing more awareness. Can you tell mm -hmm. everyone where to find you and also tell us about Carpenter 180? 
Yes. Okay. So um, the golden rule in life is decide what it is you need most in this world and then go do that. So I built a company that um, on Instagram and Facebook, you can find me on weight loss over 40. So it's weight loss dot over dot 40. And my foundational principles are based off of learning the truth about food so that yes, you can lose weight, but weight loss is the side effect of getting healthy. And it is not about gene size or vanity, but it's about you liking how you look and feel in your own skin suit. And for a lot of women taking off 15 or 20 or 40 pounds in their forties without hunger, without having to compromise their lifestyle really allows them to go do what it is that they're supposed to do in their life rather than being held back and trapped. So definitely follow me on Instagram because then you can see me eating (laughs) meals. I usually put at least one thing that I'm eating for the day on there, but also how you can lose weight without taking out your favorite foods, without restricting. We end the binge restrict cycle. And it's because when you learn the truth about food and you understand the science and everything is based in science, then what happens is we open up the room to deal with the emotional stuff and we sort of disassociate food with feelings. And instead we're eating food out of pleasure and because food is meant to taste good and be pleasurable. And so when you take out the emotional binging part, all of a sudden you're able to eat your favorite foods and you're losing weight and things are happening. And just, it's kind of like you just need this little bit of investment in you, this little education to get to where you want to go. So again, it's weightloss.over.40 is my Instagram and Facebook. Oh, great. And I will put all of that in the show notes. Suze, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And if your audience goes to fiberfinds.net I, and they can sign up for my free fiber list, that's probably the most important thing to do is to start learning to focus on those carbs, because I know that's a big fear for a lot of people. And that can be a really great place just to start in terms of your health journey. All right. Perfect. I will add that to the show notes as well. Thank you so much for these amazing, fantastic resources. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on here to share this. Suze, thank you so much for coming on today and speaking with me and my audience about your past struggles with your eating disorder. I really appreciate it. I think it's so important to speak about this. I think it's so important to educate people about this and as well as giving them resources. So thank you again. Everyone go check out Suze. All of her links are in the show notes. And if you or someone you know struggles with an eating disorder or disordered eating, just know that there is help out there and that there is a light at the end of this tunnel. You can get through this. Go check out Suze and the resources in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I would really appreciate it if you left me a review. And if you want to hear more from me, then definitely go join my Facebook group. It is such a supportive, encouraging community, and I just love it, and I'm in there pretty much every day, and I just have wonderful, wonderful members. So if you are not already, make sure you go and join my Facebook group. The link is in the show notes, but it is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash according to Des. I'll see you in there.